everybody. Welcome to my blurred opinion. Welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 130. We're still rocking. Uh, no matter how bad I feel, how low I get, uh, I still want to keep this show going because I know it's something positive for uh, for others, but including myself. Um, and I'm 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 not a I'm not a giver upper as they say. So. Uh, for all those out there who are struggling with me, just keep fighting and look for something that makes you happy. Please try. And uh, But let's get into something positive. Let's have a great interview here. And, um, yeah, we'll talk at the end of the show as we usually do. Hey, guys. Thanks. Alright guys, back again. That's actually the second one I'm doing today and I usually don't do them that close, but I'm just happy to find such great people and then this guy and I have been bonding as we started to talk and, you know, it's just nice to meet people from all over the world, but in this case, all over the country and, and find people who are just like-minded, but also just good people who are just overcoming and, and doing something well with you know, what they've been thrown, no matter how much some things have been thrown at them, they still get up and find ways to, to do some good. Um, so uh, again, uh, I'd like to just, I always tell people where I find everybody, which is Podmatch. And, and uh, this is actually a newcomer to Podmatch. So uh, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks, Timothy. My name is Mark Chartier, um, and I'm a special education teacher in, in Southern Colorado. I, um, I grew up in New York, Long Island, New York, and um, I, I, I grew up with Tourette's Syndrome, um, and um, as a kid, uh, I had several tics that developed uh, when I was about seven years old. I, uh, I, 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 I remember my first tick was when, I w when my parents had just separated and, and begun some divorce filings mm -hmm. and my mother had schizophrenia um, and she had custody of me for a little bit. And during the separation, my mother took me on several car rides uh, through the New York state area and just displayed some real erratic behavior and for example, we would go to restaurants and diners and hospitals and she'd check us in or we'd sit down and order some food. And then all of a sudden, three, four minutes later, she'd grab me and she, 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 she ran with me outside, out the door, uh, saying, stating that my father was watching us and just had a lot of bizarre behavior. And I was only seven years old and I, I didn't know that my mother had schizophrenia. Yeah. Uh, as a child, I, I know she had left. She had episodes where she left the home prior to that. But at this time, I, w I was really kind of like in the midst of this chaos. And I remember after about four or five days of this, uh, gallivanting between New York State and Montreal, which is where I was born and where my father's family was, uh, she she was driving me around Montreal and I had a spiral notebook. And I remember this because this is the first tick, nervous tick that I had. 
And I took my spiral notebook and I took it and strummed it across my lips until my lips bloodied and blistered. And that was the first tick I remember having. And after that, it kind of metamorphosed into blinking and head jerking and barking. As a kid, uh, some of my friends used to even call me Mark Bark Ark. And, 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 and mind you, this is in the 80s when Tourette's was not very well known. And so no one knew or, or brought up Tourette's. Uh, but when I was in about fourth or fifth grade, I had these ticks with my head. One of them was where I would uh, jerk my head side to side. And the kids actually named my ticks. So they would name that one the, the twister. Okay. And then I had one where I circled my head in a, a clock, uh, in a clock turning motion. And they called that around the world. And then I had kind of like a synthesis of the two, which they, which they called, um, the works. And kids actually used to pay me on the playground to do these ticks. They paid me, uh, five cents for a twister, a dime for around the world and a quarter for the work. Well, and awesome. I always tell people, I, I always tell people, I should have kept on charging with inflation. I'd be doing pretty well right now, right about now. Right. Yeah. So make it. Um, t- yeah, I have some advantages with this whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And so uh, my takes kind of waxed and waned over the next several years. Uh, there were times where I didn't have too many, and times where I had uh, many, and where they were very pronounced. Yeah. Before, and before, you I was, go, before you go, I just wanted to say, cause like you're the, you're the third person. I'm pretty sure you're the third guest I've had on that has had Tourette's and uh, obviously all three of you are totally different and, and things that I've gotten to learn, obviously, you know, cursing, you know, is like the thing that everyone knows of. It's like, Oh, you just say horrible things, but that's really not the case. And one of the things I have gotten to learn with Tourette's is it can be very painful because you can do a lot of damage to yourself with, with the shaking and the bobbing back and forth and just, uh, also you could put yourself at risk. You know, there's one girl I had on who I love and Becca, she's, she used to like see puddles and she would just want to jump in them, but sometimes they were in the middle of the street. Um, and she would also yeah. hit, hit herself. Like there's, there's a lot more to Tourette's than just saying things or, or movements. Absolutely. So, uh, from research that I read online that the cussing symptom, which, uh, Tourette's is often well known for, uh, that's called uh, corporalalia, and uh, only about 10% of people with Tourette's actually have that symptom. Now, I I don't have that symptom unless I'm speaking to my father and we're arguing. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I but I don't really have that symptom. Um, but I I, uh, I do have and have had throughout my life a lot of self abuse ticks. Um, for example, I, I'm constantly jerking my neck, and over oh, after 30 some years of doing that, uh, very very forcefully, I have sprained my neck. I have some arthritis in my neck. I've also um, pressed on my fingers mm-hmm. so hard that I've actually pulled them out of socket and ruptured tendons in my hands mm-hmm. in my fingers. Yeah. And I've also uh, punched myself. Um, I, I, I had this take for many years where I would stare at the sun, which obviously isn't good for your eyes No. and also scratching myself. And another thing I do often is whenever I wash my hands, I grate my fingers along the, the, the bottom of the faucet. 
And so you're absolutely right, Timothy. Um, Tourette's is, is a disease or an illness, a disorder that, um, that is different for everybody. There's, there's no two case. There aren't any two cases that are probably alike. Hmm. Uh, it manifests itself differently for everybody. And so my Tourette's didn't actually get really pronounced and, and really worrisome until I turned about 15 years old when I moved to Colorado from, from New York. And then it just kind of blew up. And I don't know if it was, uh, the, 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 the change in my life, which was a big change at the time or puberty or, or, or what, or, uh, but, but when I turned 15 and moved to Colorado Springs, it became very, very pronounced. Mm-hmm. And I, as a result, I, 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 I dealt with a lot of bullying and I got into a lot of fist fights. I actually got into a, um, a fist fight with someone at school one time and the athletic director went to break it up and he grabbed me by the side of my face and he pulled me and I, I immediately let go of the kid and I said, okay, okay. I let go. I let go. And he started to pull me by the side of my face. Now I'm bald now, so I don't have hair. So that, that means something different now, but Back then, I obviously had a lot of hair at age 15, and so right. it hurt quite quite a bit. And so when he pulled me, I, I kind of flung my arm to, to shrug him off me and and said some not-so-nice words to him. Hmm. And, uh, and then he grabbed me again by the shoulder, uh, and, uh, and again, I flung my arm and shrugged him off, and he cocked back his arm like he was going to hit me. And then I ran in to the principal's office and, and, and the principal had said that he had witnesses saying that, uh, that I swung at the teacher. And, and in hindsight, I can see how that interpretation was made at the time. I was very unhappy because I felt like if anything, uh, that, that teacher, the athletic director was was looking like he was going to hit me. Uh, so after that, I, um, I, I had a lot of anger towards the school. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, I was also, uh, being raised by my dad at that point in time. Um, from about age eight, my dad raised me and my brother and, and, and my dad was tough. He, he, he was physically abusive and verbal abusive at times. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of stuff going on in my life and I needed to lash out. I, well, maybe I didn't need to, but I did lash out. And uh, as a result, I, I, me and a friend that I had made in Colorado Springs at the school, we committed about $1,000 worth of vandalism over the span of about four or five months. And we ended up getting caught for all of it. And as a result, um, I was remanded to detention throughout all my free time in school. And so anytime I had free time, I was, I was, I was mandated to, to go to the detention center for lunch. I had like 10 minutes to get my lunch and then I had to go to the detention center. And of all people, because at that point in my life, I was yearning for a mother figure. And out of all people in my life, uh, the, the detention lady, her name was Susie Tracy. Um, 
showed a, a care, a caring and a nurturing and, and concern. And, and, and we, we built this beautiful relationship that inspired me to turn my behavior around and my life around really, because at that point in time, I was headed nowhere fast. Right. And so before you you go on, like, yeah, I mean, I think we all remember those people because I, I had a lot of mistreatment as far as in my schooling as well. And some bullying and just teachers just completely mistreating me. Um, and you know, it's, it's amazing how you, you're born and you're like super innocent and, uh, and then of course the disability gets thrown into the whole mix and you're trying to like, you know, you're at the age where you're, you're, you know, obviously puberty and you're starting to, you know, realize things. You're starting to really understand parts of life, not enough because you're not an adult, but you're starting to really see how life can be. And if a few things were to go a different way, maybe you would have been happier and you wouldn't have been acting out. But so much went the opposite way where you just started becoming mistreated. And, and, and that's where the disability part, the worst part of having a disability is all the other things because you're an open, you know, anybody will get made fun of if you just have a silly last name or, or whatever. You have gay parents yeah. or something. Somebody will just find anything to make fun of you. You like a certain show or something, but you have something that's so visible to everybody and it's and obviously now you're new into this area. So you're just, it's easy pickings on you. And then, you know, yeah. all you know of is, is the pain and sadness and anger. And so like the only way you really can act out or the only way you really react to it is by doing the same. And it's, it's, not, yeah. it's not good, but how could you ever, you know, expect anything from another person. And that's how a lot of these things happen where I, that's why I say I talk so much about mental health because of all these school shootings and, and obviously just all the shit that's going on in the world. And it's like, this is how this type of stuff happens. Obviously you, you made it out of that phase and it didn't happen for you, but you had the anger, you had the sadness and you had so much that it could have turned you into something way worse than what you end up being. But you know, you still found a way through it, which is, great for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I credit people like Mrs. Tracy and other educators that I had that inspired me and that developed positive and strong relationships, positive, meaningful relationships with me that inspired me to overcome not only my Tourette, which I didn't find out until I was 18, uh, but also like my behavior, because I did have a lot of behaviors. Uh, I, I'm sure Back then, they didn't have behavior programs in schools, at least not that I know of. But I'm sure that if I was going to school today, I would probably be participating in a in what's called a behavior program. Yeah. Um, but I, those were the relationships that got me into to teaching because when I fast forward to after I got my bachelor's degree in English, I I, I was I was. I had, we, I had sustained a, a brain injury a couple of years prior and I was stuttering quite significantly at the time. And I was not ready to venture out into the big bad world. And so I wanted to go into special education to help kids that had similar struggles as me because the people that made meaningful, that, that had a meaningful impact in my life were teachers and educators, not just teachers, educators in general. I'll say. Yeah, but you got and to see so the that good, was what you got to see the good and the yeah. bad. You saw what how like what someone had an impact on you on both ways. That that gym teacher, that principal, and all that. You saw what was wrong with that, but you also saw Mrs. Tracy who took you under her arm and and saw 
she looked past all your problems. Yeah. She realized, yeah, okay, maybe you're a little rambunctious. Maybe you have some anger there, but maybe there's a reason this kid has anger. So you saw both yeah. ways and you said, okay, I need to take both of them, mix them together and show what, and, and, and actually help somebody who can be the younger version of you and, and give them, you know, give an impact to them or make an impact on them so that they can have, a, you know, a fruitful living. Absolutely. And, and that's, and that's why I teach today. And, and that's what I pride myself. That's probably my greatest strength as a special education teacher is building positive relationships with my students because, um, part, partly because of my personality, but also in part, largely in part, because when my students meet me, they're able to, to ascertain that, Hey, Mr. She's not like every teacher he has, there's, there's something different about him. And what they pick up on is that I have disabilities as well. Yeah. And because of that, and, and I'm pretty open about it. I mean, I, I work with kindergartners and first graders and they ask me why I do this tick or that tick. And I, I don't, I don't explain to them that I have Tourette's. I, I do it. They're in fourth, third, fourth and fifth grade. I do because mm -hmm. I feel like they can handle that and probably have some um, meaning from that. But for the younger kids, I just tell them that I'm nervous and that I have a challenge and that that's my challenge. Right. But that must, make so, them, uh, it must make them feel really comfortable because now whatever it is that makes you know, that's very visible to the world of what they do. And, and it's like, oh, look at that kid. He has this. That's really not something that's talked about in the classroom. It's just an unwritten rule. Like, OK, we all have something bothering us and we accept each other. We don't care. Yes, yes. And I actually um, the the the. Uh, I have a, a motto for my classroom and also for my speeches. Uh, I, I give motivational speeches in conferences and universities and, and sometimes to school districts. And, and my motto for my speech and my classroom is always believe that you can make a difference, but never let your differences keep you from what you believe. For sure. And, and, and the premise behind that is that we're all different. We all have challenges in our life, whether they're disability or, or other things, other physical or mental or, or social emotional limitations. Uh, but I, I believe that I teach my students to embrace diversity and, and, and that's how we learn the most about life is from people that are different from us. Yeah. I, that, that's something that is just sorely missed in this world where we, we feel like we can't put ourselves in other people's shoes, but we also, we don't seem to really think that different is a good thing. Like it's okay that someone's like we really are all different from each other. Even if we like a lot of the same things, or we came from the same background, or same color, or gender, or whatever, but we all have something different about us. But we we all we want to kind of pigeonhole people into one box, and everyone is the same. We all think the same, and that's where all this cancel culture and all that comes from. And it's like you don't understand. There's some people like you and I who are different, regardless. We we have no choice because we, yeah. we are different. So we have to make the best of our differences and we have to show you why different is okay. And that just, you know, there's people that are just different for many reasons beyond a disability. And it, yes. different is actually a good thing. It, there's nothing, you know, that whole, yeah. you're not normal. It's like one, I don't really know what normal is. And two, that just sounds gross coming out of my mouth. Like I'm good with that. Yes. Yes. And, and how boring would life be if we had, if we only hung around and associated with clones of ourselves, right? Yeah. Like no one wants to date someone that's just like them. 
And if they do, those relationships don't really last very long. And, and same with friends. I mean, it's definitely great to have some common ground and some common morals and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but to have someone that's just, you know, feels and thinks and acts the same as you would be incredibly boring. And I, I'm one for one. I don't, I don't, I'm really big on not pushing my beliefs and my feelings on others um, because those are, those are mine. Those are my beliefs and my feelings. Yeah. And, uh, but um, so I, I, I'm very respectful towards other people's beliefs as well, because I feel like I can learn things from their vantage point and vice versa. Yeah. All the people that are important in my life, they're so, a lot of them, that are friends of mine may not be ideal friends of my other friends that are just different, but they make a difference in my life. They're, they're, they're a reason why I love and care about them. And like what you were saying earlier, like it, it, if we were all the same, it would be like going to an ice cream parlor and all they ever had was vanilla. It's like, Nope, tomorrow's yes, vanilla. That's a great vanilla. analogy. Everything is vanilla. And it's like, well, what about yeah, chocolate, that's... strawberry, you know, whatever. And you're like, no, no, but vanilla for the rest of eternity. It's like, well, it's boring because all the people in my life that really are great, not just my family members, my friends, all just pe- just meeting you. Like you're different from me, but it's great. Like I'm getting to know you. Like our stories, we have similarities, but we have a lot of differences, and that's great because I don't want, you know, I ever said if I ever have kids, I don't want a kid that's just like me. Like he can have some good, some of my good qualities, but I don't want him to be exactly like me. I want him to just, I want, I actually, I definitely don't want him to go through the life that I had to go through, and. But I, but I also want things, I want him to learn and, and you know, be more open-minded than when I was a kid because I was such a petrified kid. Um, but again, what made what life did to me made me who I am today, and I wouldn't change it. Sure, would I like some of my sight back? Yeah. Would I like not to be dealing with mental health? Sure. But I also wouldn't be the person I am, and, and there, that's for everybody. And so, you know, regardless if you like or dislike a person, they are who they are based on life experiences and, and how it all affected them. I, I, you know, if we were all the same, life would really suck and life can suck anyway, but it's like, man, yeah. like, you know, it, it's like, that. I remember that one time when, when, uh, uh, Apple, for some reason they downloaded, um, a, uh, U2 album to everybody's, uh, phones just in their, their music app. And it's like, here, everybody, here's a U2 app. No one asked for it. And so now everybody's just got this one app. And I was like, so if, if, if let's say companies, but let's say the world, we were just programmed to listen to the same thing. We were told to like the same shows. We were supposed to laugh at the same things. Like that's just computerized robots. We're, we're not people, but yeah, you know, because you and I, I may like totally different. You may not like sports at all. And I may love sports, but that doesn't mean we can't be friends. That doesn't mean absolutely. That doesn't mean like oh he's pointless. No, because you may bring something to my life that I never thought of. You could ever bring to my life, vice versa to you. Absolutely. You know, and, and I pride myself on having friends from all every walk of life. Sure, I, I have a very eclectic group of friends, and 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 I pride myself on those on on having those relationships. And and there are things that 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 they feel a certain kind of way that I feel differently, and. And sometimes we talk about those things and sometimes we don't. Uh, but I feel like we, we, we respect each other uh, as people, as individuals. And I think that's uh, what, uh, sadly, uh, on social media, there's so, divisive, so much divisiveness 
And, and, and I just wish, I, I strive to, to accept people no matter who they are, for who they are. Sure. Um, yeah. And, and another thing that you said that, um, that resonated with me was um, my neurologist a few years ago, I was going to see him and I was talking to him about my anxiety and OCD because uh, anxiety and OCD are two comorbid uh, conditions that come along with stress often. Okay. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, he said, I think your OCD has made you the teacher that you are and the poet that you are because I don't know if we talked about this yet, but I, I write poetry. I have a, a book of poems that, that's been published. Yep. And so he said to me, he said, your OCD has made you the teacher that you are and the writer that you are. Yeah. And so I, I, that really seeped deeply into, into my, my mind at the time. And I, I still think about it to this day because there's a certain level of perfectionism that comes with OCD that um and and ruminations and obsessive thinking that without that i might not be as good of a special ed teacher as i am without that and 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 the same could be said for my writing yeah yeah you're you're so bent on making it the way you want to make it and it has to come out a certain way but it it comes out the way it should come out and and you know it's it's from your mind it's from your voice so yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is a there's something to that that attributes to yeah what you're uh, yeah what you're writing yeah that's great. Um, also, you said something to me off off air. Where where does the um the the visually impairment come from? So um, I was when as a child I had uh, I was cross-eyed and I had surgery for it, which corrected my my um, my eyes being crossed, uh, but as uh, as I aged, I developed keratoconus, and I also had what's called a congenital nystagmus. Okay. And so uh, during my teen years, I actually, uh, my vision started to fade uh, quite, at that point, I'd say moderately. I required what's, what's called rigid gas permeable contact lenses, which are, uh, which is code for hard contact lenses. And as, as, as time has gone on, my vision has, my corneas, which is, um, my condition is basically distorted corneas, um, in layman terms, those distortions have increased. And without my contacts, I'm legally blind in my right eye and pretty about halfway there in my left. And with my contacts, I'm able to, uh, see well enough to drive, uh, just barely. Um, but I also developed strabismus, which is what's called a lazy eye. Um, and I developed that later in life. Uh, and it, it got markedly worse after my brain injury. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, when people meet me, one of the first things they remark about is my vision. And sometimes they're very tactful and polite and kind and respectful. Unfortunately, sometimes I've had some people and, and these, these people have been even people I work with at school that are adults with master's degrees in special education uh, that make jokes uh, about my, my lazy eye and my vision. And I, I actually wrote a poem about it 
um, a couple of years ago that's in my upcoming manuscript. And it's just kind of like a, a commentary on, on my vision and how people um, sometimes make unthoughtful and distasteful remarks about something that, that might appear a certain way, but is, is not necessarily the, the layering of the book on the inside. Right. Um, I, I had a thought like, I don't know, a couple months ago, I, I said, I would, would love to know if we could just wipe all our brains on what people look like. And we, we were blind, let's say for a month or a year or whatever. And like, we remembered everybody's voices. We like, we don't lose the connection of people in our life, but we forgot what they looked like. So we don't know what color is. We don't, we don't know what their color is. We don't, you know, we just don't care about that. The look of a person just does not matter at that point. And now all you, and you're blind for, let's say whatever, a month, year, whatever you want to go, how different people would be. Because now you can't judge people based on their color. You can't judge people based on anything other than their, their voice inflection inflection. And I, again, I don't know, but I feel like people would be a lot nicer to each other because we tend to we tend to just look at something from someone on the surface and just go, OK, you're that or you don't have that or you do have that. And if and, and, and we just judge so much and it's such a visual thing. And it's like, man, can we just I mean, it, it sounds so cheesy, but being nicer to each other, especially now, COVID has made things so much worse. And but yes, but it's like I just wonder what the world would be like if we just couldn't see. And. And that's that's a, a beautiful way of putting it. I I love that. I love your thinking in that in that in that sense. Um, as as people as as a single guy uh, who has not had a lot of luck in the romance department, whether it be because of my personality or my looks or my Tourette's or my eyes, I don't know. I'm sure for for everyone it's been something different, but I I know that we as a, a society, and I'm, I, I say this very generally yet loosely, that how, how often do we look at someone and say, no, they're not for me. You know, it doesn't matter what they wrote in their dating profile or what they have to say or what they stand for. Yeah. No, there's something about them. I don't like the way they look, what maybe their eyelashes are too long, maybe... Yeah. You know, maybe their eyes are a color we don't like, you know, what, whatever. And so I, I feel like, and, and I'm not excluding me from this either, because I do this from time to time as well. Sure, sure. But I feel like people are so fickle when it comes to appearances. And at my age, I'm 46 years old. I'm, I have grown in that area. I feel like at this point in my life, I'm more just about finding a good person, you know, someone to spend my time with. Yeah. And what, like, what makes a person sexy is so ridiculous. Cause it's like, again, look, we all have our, what we like, what we're attracted to. And that's cool. But like when people say, you know, like you said with dating profiles and I'm sure you've been on a bunch of them. So have I, and, and look, I've done okay, but it, it's, it's frustrating that you have to try so hard. Cause when people say, well, I want a good guy. I want this. I want that. And say, like, okay, I have nine of those 12 things or whatever. Obviously, I can't, yes. I can't drive, so that's something. But whatever. There's certain things I don't have. Okay, my eyes look a little weird, whatever. But it's like, do you understand, like, like for a person like you, like, all the things that you've overcome and all the things that you, like, the heart that you have, you can't buy that shit. Like, there's not many guys, not many women, there's not many people in this world that have the heart that you have, that you, you want to give back and you want to work with these children that obviously is going to be a challenge, but you look forward to it and you want to try to make their life better than what you had when you were a kid. 
And that automatically should be one of the top qualities you have. And I'm sure you have loyalty and you're obviously an honest person. Those are two qualities you can't buy either. And so, yeah, okay, maybe you're not, maybe someone is not attracted to you entirely, but someone becomes someone, I've dated girls that were pretty attractive on the outside and shitty inside. And then I've dated girls that yes. I wasn't super attracted to. There was one girl that I was, I was dating for a while. She was almost 300 pounds. I'm, and again, I wasn't attracted to that. But she was really kind of a person. Now, she ended up becoming a bitch in the end and whatever. Spoiler alert. But, sure. yeah. you know, whatever. But at the time, she was a really kind person. She treated me well. And that's all. I, at the time, that's all I needed. And, yeah. you know, it, it yeah. sucks because, again, that's where the visual stuff comes from. And, I, look, I'm a very visual person. And I'm telling you, I'm fighting to keep my sight. I'm trying to get a cornea transplant. I'm trying to do what I can to keep my sight. So I, what, mm, I'm mm. not saying I want to lose my vision, but I'm saying if, if the world is even and we all lose our sight, just to prove a point, sure. But I, you know, it just sucks because, again, you brought something up here with the dating thing. And, like it, and I've been spending time with somebody, and it's going good, and she's a pretty girl, and I'm lucky. Good. But I know how good. hard it is. Dating sucks, especially for a person with a disability, because there is no real yeah. sights for us. There's no legit sights for us to <laughs> date each other. And a lot of us don't even want to date each other because we it, it, it's like the it's like a girl who's like, I, you know, she, she's got all these pretty friends and she's in the middle, but she wants to like be on their status, their level. So she won't date guys beneath their status because she wants to fit in with them. And, you know, so a lot of people with disabilities, like I've seen in the disabled community where let's say the blind visually impaired people will make fun of the blind people because it's, it's just so they, they're not the bottom of the barrel. They're not the worst person in the room, whatever, however you want to put it. And a lot of us don't want to date each other. Cause it's like, well, why would I date you? It's like, why wouldn't you? Because we have to look out for you. Cause, cause as people with disabilities, why one of the reasons why I do this is cause I don't feel like we look out for each other enough, not just dating. But just look out for yeah. each other. We don't we don't accept each other because we're always looking for. It's like, well, at least I'm not in a wheelchair. It's like, but how can you say that? Because you're part of this. Yeah. You're part of this group. You have a broken body part too. It's just not their broken body part. There's something yeah. wrong with you too. And the world's like, just because you somehow got it in your head that you're better than that person, but you're not. And you know, maybe you have too much sight or you have too much hearing or whatever it is that's, you know, feeling you, that you feel free enough to look at another person and judge them because look, I have some sight and I have friends that are blind and I feel for them, but I've seen some blind friends that have more confidence than I have. And so, and I love them for that. And so, you know, and I try to tiptoe around or, you know, jump all over the place. But when it comes to the dating thing, it's rough for us because a lot of us don't want to date each other. And a lot of the people out here that are claiming that they're looking for great things, they're not. They're full of shit. They're looking for an image. And they're looking for certain stuff that really will never suit. There's no perfect person. That's the thing. There may, there's really Absolutely. A, there may be a perfect fit for your life, but there's not a perfect person, whether it's looks no. or financial yeah. or whatever. And for someone like you who offers so much, it's like... You know, and you're not a bad looking dude. It's not even that. It's just it, 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 you have things that stick out to someone who goes, well, if I have to carry that Absolutely. person, I have you on my arm. I know now I'm going to be made fun of because I have him on my arm. Why would I make these choices? But it's like, why wouldn't you make these choices? You don't want a good guy in your life. You don't want someone who's going to love you for eternity and is actually going to accept you for who you are. Oh, boy, poor you. It's like, okay, maybe your friends will judge you or laugh at you. But you know what? They're probably, they probably shouldn't be your damn friends in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, uh, yeah. And, and just as, and and even just generalizing disabilities for a second, right? Like we all have shortcomings, like you stated, we all have shortcomings, whether they're financial, physical, mental, social, uh, familial, uh, we all have shortcomings, but yet what about our talents? Why not accentuate our talents? Right? Like, like my professor in grad school told me that she believed I was gifted and talented, uh, in writing because I, I, I was probably the best writer in, in my class that, that she saw. And, and so we all have talents and, and as a special ed teacher, I love to emphasize and draw more light and attention to those talents of my students uh, than, than their, their shortcomings or quote unquote disabilities. Yeah. Uh, because we all have talents and, 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 and we need to focus on the positive because we all have shortcomings, all of us, every single one of us. Yeah. And that, that's what I choose. That's how I choose to li- live my life and, and how I operate as a special ed teacher. No, absolutely. I, I just, you know, for me, I, I think it's something a lot of people don't talk about, especially in the disabled communities, is dating and how challenging it is. There are people that get lucky and there are people that are more attractive and all that and their disabilities aren't as visible and all that. And then also some people find people before they ever have a disability. Um, but, yeah. you know, it, it is it is a real challenge. Again, it's a challenge for a lot of people, but it is so much it more is. challenging for us because there's not anything dedicated to us, like how they have like black dating and Latina dating and all that. Um, you know, old couples, but there's like these little off-brand little nonsense ones that you have to pay for. And they're not really, I don't know how legit they are. And yeah. And, and, and like I said, there's so much, and, and I was telling a friend of mine because we, we work at a place and, and they hire people with visually or visual impairment and blindness. And I'm like, one of the things that I don't feel like the sighted people or the able-bodied people at our job appreciate the most about us is they, or they take for granted, is that we come to work every day. We try to smile. We work our asses off to make mediocre money. And we, we have so much more that we carry with us. We have family issues. We have other pains. We have other problems. We still have to pay our bills. We still have to shower. We still have to do all these things. But yet we come to work working for you and we do our best and we and we try and we know you want to replace us with people who can see better. There's so much that we carry on our shoulders that you, you, you take for granted. And it, it, it frustrates us because when when little things when when things get when changes happen around there and they're like, well, we'll just go with this. And it's like, but you don't even ask us. You don't even consider our feelings. You don't consider how we we act and what we want. And that's why we always feel, and again, I've always fought against this and I've, you know, part why I get in trouble a lot as I, I open my mouth because I don't, I don't like that shit. Like one of the things I've always hated is I've never had to work with someone with a disability before. So I was always the blind guy or the visually impaired person in, in that company. But when I started working with other people with disabilities, it's like, oh, now you're all the same. There's no difference. You're the same person, regardless if you have different vision acuities or you have a different disability. You're just kind of the same person that we we treat you the same as these little sheep. And um, I just I feel like people don't understand how much we carry with us, and that's why some I'm so bent on just thrusting down your throat how much I care about mental health because we we carry so much, and mental health is a built is built into our package, whether we want it or not, and. I think if people were to listen to us and understand, like we have so much, like what what you're accomplishing and what you're doing right now is astounding, but I'm sure you still have really bad days. Yes, 
actually two days ago, I, I had a really bad day just because my body was in a lot of pain uh, because years of, of my tics uh, have, are starting to catch up with me and I'm having pain in about five or six areas of my body. And I went and saw my, my friend yesterday who's a massage therapist and she does wonderful work and she helped me out. And, and not only did my body feel better afterwards, but my soul and my, my outlook and my attitude just dramatically improved. Yeah. And, and, and just to touch on what you're saying about the work component mm -hmm. of, for people with disabilities, like how wonderful is it that we still, that we have these challenges. And, and as we stated, all our challenges are, are idiosyncratic and unique to ourselves, but yet we're out there trying to make a contribution to society, whether it's working at a school, whether it's working at McDonald's or at a tire shop or a coffee shop or working as an engineer or a police officer, like we are trying to be successful and contributing members to society. And that's a damn important thing yeah. that people need to recognize and, and, and applaud because um, another thing that I do on, I have a business Facebook uh, for my speaking and I, 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 I got on this kick a couple of years ago where I wrote some memes, uh, some inspirational things. And as you were talking, this one meme came up and it goes like this. Um, in front of every disability is a person working hard just to level the playing field. Right? Yeah. So like, I think a lot of times when we think of disability, we think disability first and, and we forget that there's a person there's a person in front of that disability. You are a person before your disability. I am a person before I am a disabled person. Yeah. And so our disabilities might be a part of our life and sometimes a huge part, but we are still people and we deserve to be treated like, 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 nor like not, well, I almost said normal, but not normal people, but yeah, I um, able bodies, people that are just as rough, relevant and uh important as the next person yeah that's why i said they forget like we cry we 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 you know we have to do regular things in life and we still have regular emotions we just have something that sticks out to you and makes you feel uncomfortable but it's like how uncomfortable do you think we feel when you're staring at us and when you make comments and and when you, you make our lives harder than it already is we don't need you know, that, that's why our accomplishments may seem basic to the average person, but they're real accomplishments because of all the barriers that we have to jump or the hurdles that we have to jump over. And, you know, it, it's tough, but that's why the, that's why a lot of us are so strong. And I think some people misconstrued. Some of us are very tough on the outside, but we're really mushy on the inside. There's a lot that affects us. It's just, we have to project that to you because otherwise we, we already perceive as weak. We already you already look yeah. at us like we're slow or something's wrong. I mean, you with your stutter and obviously with the eye, you know, the, the lazy eye and all these are things that people are going to look at you and go, Oh, he's, you know, he's not all there. It's like, but how can you say that? The guy's a great person. He has a, he's has a very good vocabulary. It's just because you're uncomfortable with it and it makes you uncomfortable. But it's like, dude, how do you think we feel? We feel shitty about it too. And we're trying our best yeah. to be strong and not just strong for us, but for everyone around us that we care about. Yes. We, sometimes we are the strong person in our group and we might be the only person with a disability. And it's like, how do you think? Absolutely. We, how do you think we like for you? Like you have these kids that depend on you. 
well, you have a life. You have to go home. You have to live with your, you know, you're trying to, it's a single guy trying to find a mate. And, you know, you have to tell these kids and give them real values and thoughts in their head so they feel good about life. But also deep down, you're fighting your own demons. You're fighting your own problems, but you still come to work because you know you have, there's work to be done. You you have a message and there's something that you are trying to get out there. And you, again, you don't want kids to go through what you went through as a child. Absolutely. And, 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 and something you said a minute ago conjure up this story from when I worked in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, my first year, my sixth year in teaching, I, I moved to Denver to teach at an elementary school. And I worked with this uh, special ed teacher who was uh, an older lady, um, o- much older than I was at the time. And she was kind of like a veteran old school teacher. And uh, as I was talking to her one day, we, we kind of had a rough start. She obviously wasn't comfortable with, with, with working with me. And um, at one point in time, we were talking. And see, I have these eye ticks where I have to stare at something compulsively and obsessively. And if something happens, I have to do it again and again and again. And sometimes it's the V in a woman's shirt. Sometimes it's the zipper on a man's jeans. And and you can already imagine like how this is often perceived by by the person that I'm 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 doing this with. Right. Well one time this lady was this lady and I were in the classroom and she was standing in front of me talking and I was actually looking at the leg of a chair behind her <laughs> and and she said to me, she frowned and she said, What are you looking at? And I said, oh, it's nothing. It's just a tick. And she knew I had Tourette's. I was, I was very open about it. And, and she, she, she said, what are you staring at? I said, it's just a, a, a tick, a nervous tick uh, I'm staring at. And um, as our relationship disintegrated over the next coming months, she actually went to the principal and filed a sexual harassment charge against me mm-hmm. because she said I was looking at her private area. Uh, and so that was just so humiliating just to be, I mean, even though the central administration at that school knew, knew the whole thing was bogus and that I was being targeted because she was uncomfortable with my disability. And, and, and not only that, but the fact that she waited three months to move on it after, after our relationship had deteriorated to the point of no return, that was just such a, but it was still a humiliating experience being interviewed and ask these sexual harassment questions. And, and, and I came to the conclusion, I thought to myself, I thought, well, it might be hard for people. I understand that people might get uh, um, uncomfortable if I'm staring at them or it appears that I'm staring at them because sometimes I'm really not. Uh, but what makes them uncomfortable for 10, 15 seconds sometimes is my whole life, right? Like I do that at home. I do that in the corners of my walls. I do that at movies. I do that. I do that at anything that catches my attention. And it can be very maddening at times just to be anchored to that kind of nervous tick. Yeah. And, and, and also socially, um, socially impe- impeding. I want to say socially impeding because like I said, a lot of times, the the person that I might be staring at is taking it as I'm checking them out, which can obviously 
cause more stress to me, right? Yeah. As well as them too. I not acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that, that, it does help though that you're so honest now about, and I, I know you have your insecurities and everything, but it, it helps that you're more honest about it. You're, you're more willing to say, Hey, I have Tourette's and, I mean, I think it's just better for you to just come out. Look, I'm, I may be staring at whatever, a lamp behind you. I promise I'm not staring at you. I just have these ticks. And because people don't understand, again, like we said in the beginning, like a lot of people think Tourette's is just yelling and saying obscenities. And, yeah. and that's not what it is. And again, I've had to learn over the, you know, interviewing, you know, you're the third person and I'm getting to know a lot of people with Tourette's. It's like, you realize how different a lot of these people are. And I follow a guy on Instagram. He's a cop and he has all these little sounds, things he makes, but he's, in shape guy he's well there he's all there he's he, he you know he fights for the law and he's just a cop but he has Tourette's and you know that's great yeah and, and it's cool like he there's nothing different about him other than he makes a couple sounds and but again yeah. but yeah we live in this world now where everybody is in trouble for the littlest things and yeah it's embarrassing to be pulled in an office for you know uh, that you're staring in a direction of a woman and you know, even if you were staring at her, it's it's not your intent to look her up and down. No. You know? No. It's, but even, even, even with a person with a vision problem, even if you are trying to stare, at it, can maybe you're trying to see if you know that person, and maybe it takes a little yeah. longer for your eyes to fluctuate to really pick, get that whole, you know, 100% image of what their face looks like, and it takes a second, yeah. but you have to really stare at them, and I've done that, and... I, I have to, but I try not. And again, I don't have the tick. So I try to look away a little bit, maybe let my eyes focus a little more, maybe get in better lighting. And that's why I'm very good with hearing voices and knowing, you know, like if I, if I watch a movie and I see a guy in a complete costume that I don't even, I can't even tell that they're that person, but I hear the voice, I'll look it up and I'll go, okay, that is that person. I know it because voices I'm very good with, but visually, you know, my eyes are not that great. So, but yeah, I've done that where I've stared at people and I'm like, I think I may know that person, but I, I don't want to yeah. be a creep. But I don't have the tick where I if I if I can't figure it out then I just walk away and maybe I'll try to get closer to see if I can hear their voice or something. But otherwise I just walk away. But for you, that's not something you. Sometimes you just can't do that. And and but the world's not going to yeah. understand that because they they have bigger things to worry about. And Tourette's isn't something that's out in the you know the mainstream media. How many people in the in, in entertainment have Tourette's and and talk? Yeah. About it? So no one really knows unless, unless some major celebrity has your condition. How many people are going to talk about it? And, and Tourette's is something a lot of people know about, but not in the grand scheme of things of, oh, Tourette's is this. And, and, and you know, you may stare at me. But and then, of course, there'll be some idiot out there that go, oh, yeah, I have Tourette's. That's why I'm staring at you. And then they don't. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's kind of what happened with COVID. A lot of people, there's certain people that needed to wear masks and some people couldn't wear masks and and. People get in trouble, and then there's just there's just a fight over everything, and it's unfortunate. Yeah. But again, this is back to the whole being different again. It's okay to be different, and sometimes like we, I think we're so afraid to have the uncomfortable conversations about anything. Like let's say a white and black person sitting down and trying to understand our differences and go, why don't you like me, or why don't you like this specific thing, or why do you feel this is wrong? Instead of having that conversation, we just talk to the people like minded and just go, ah, that's why they suck. And, you know, and that's why it takes people like you and I and others to just continue to have conversations and and open people's mind and not make it. And also the people that are like us that are maybe further back than us, that are many stages behind us that are really uncomfortable and they hate themselves and they're ashamed of themselves because of their Tourette's or their visual impairment or, or whatever. 
and make them feel like they're not alone and that it's okay to be that and for them to speak up and be comfortable with it. Because if they're not, you know, we, we're not doing our jobs and there's not enough of us that are speaking up, but we have to because there's nothing wrong with having Tourette's. There's nothing wrong with being blind, legally blind, whatever. It's just, you know, look, there's uncomfortable parts of it. There's just sadness. All that stuff comes with it, but it's okay. That's human. We can, we can, we can be sad. No matter how long you've been into your Tourette's, you still get depressed about it. You still have your, your dark days, but you recover quicker. Absolutely. You, you get up and you keep fighting. And, but we have Absolutely. to talk. If we don't have these conversations, then a lot of people mentally go blind and they don't think this stuff exists. And one of my uh, taglines on my, on my website for my public speaking is educate, advocate, motivate. And that's, that's, that's why I do, why I give motivational speeches is to um, educate people about diversity, to advocate for people with disabilities, and to motivate people of any kind of difference that they can and will hopefully succeed in life. And so that's why, that was what prompted me to, to begin speaking. I began speaking about 11 years ago at conferences, and I, I, I've been doing it since, since then. And... Um, embedded in my presentations are not just my stories of overcoming disabilities, but also the stories, my share, the, um, the stories that I share, sorry, um, the stories of my students that have overcome their disabilities as well. And so it's kind of a, a, a conglomeration of, of shared successes between me and my students and how those successes sometimes mirror each other and how they've helped them, how I've helped them just as much as they've helped me. Uh, because a lot of times my students are going through and dealing with things that even as an adult I deal with and sometimes right around the same time. <laughs> yeah, so sure. uh, that, that was what got me into speaking because I wanted to share my message to show people that people with disabilities can succeed. Because when I was uh, doing all that vandalism, I wore a striped, uh, a black and white striped t-shirt that, that's similar to the prison uniforms that people used to wear in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And my dad and brother told me, they said, you better get used to that shirt because that's where you're going. You're, the way you're going, you're gonna end up in prison. And I turned my life around and I went on to earn a bachelor's degree, two master's degrees, and I'm the only one in my immediate family with any college degree. Yeah. And so I feel like I, I really defied odds because I really was what I term a teacher's worst nightmare. And that teacher's worst nightmare became a teacher himself. <laughs> exactly. So. I guarantee you most of them would have never saw that, even if they were being reasonable. It's like, why would this kid ever want to be a teacher? But what you, yeah. what you took from it and, and how you just adapted and turned it all around. Because, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things. You know, we learn a lot from, from the bad stuff, from, from all the rejections and just the things that didn't go our way. Sometimes we run into a wall and it's like, okay, there's a wall there. Now I need to find a way around it. And Absolutely. We learn a lot from that. Sometimes when, when things are going well, and for, for us, a lot of times well isn't always going to happen, uh, very frequently, but when it does, 
yeah, you learn from it, but not the same when, when you fall on your face because it, there's some humility there and it's something you really have to dig deep and figure out why this happened. And when you get to the core of yeah. it, it's like, oh, shit, okay, all right. Yeah. Let's let's make sure this doesn't happen again because I don't like this. And, I, yeah. I, I wrote a meme a couple of years ago. It goes, uh, you can't beat at the past, so you better kick ass in the future. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, there's a lot of, I'm yeah. sure there's a few versions of yourself you would like to beat up because there's, there's definitely a couple yeah. of me that I'm just like, ugh. Every time I li- think of that thought, I'm like, yeah. God, yes, that? yes. I mean, I've I've definitely, I've definitely done some pretty, some made some huge mistakes in my life. I uh, huge. Um, I I I call them holy shit moments. Right. Part of my French, Not but uh, just things that, things that uh, that 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 I could say have happened to me or I've been involved with that. You know, you no one's ever probably ever heard anything like that before, and I won't go into it now. But just weird, weird things that uh, I definitely wish I would have handled differently. Uh, but yet, experiences that I grew from, right? Yeah. So, like things that I learned from, lessons that I took away uh, from those situations, and and just try to be the best person I can be because. As a special ed teacher to my students, I tell them, uh, Mr. C's not perfect either. Mr. C makes mistakes. Mr. C comes to school tired like you, but I give, I'm give. i still here giving you my best because a lot of times what I get is, Mr. C, I'm tired. I don't feel good. And I always empathize and, and, and acknowledge their concern. I say, oh, I'm sorry about that. I feel, I'm sorry that you're not feeling good. I'm sorry that you're tired. I'm sure, sorry that you're... Your pet passed away last night. Um, I understand that. I'm sorry about that. Uh, sometimes I feel those ways too, but I'm still here giving you my best. So why don't you go ahead and give me your best and we'll call it good. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You got to acknowledge. That's the thing. Sometimes we downplay what someone else is going through because maybe it's not up to our standard of, of going through something, but maybe this is their, this is their first time. Like if the first time you lose a pet, it's not going to be, I don't think it'll be as bad as the second time. Now, of course, you know, you love animals differently and all that, and, or, or children or whatever, but you, when you lose something, you know, and then you, you lose something again, you're more accustomed to it, and you can deal with it a little more. But when, when something happens to someone, you just don't know how it will affect them, and, and especially for kids. Yeah. When, it, when kids are so vulnerable, so when something really happens to them, like losing a pet, it will probably scar them. It'll really hurt them for a while. Cause it's like my, that was, yeah. my, that was my best friend. That's the only person to listen to me and hung out with me and played with me. And it's like, they don't understand all the other stuff. They haven't had to work. They haven't had to be around people. They haven't got in the dating world and been rejected. And this is their first form of life hitting them in the face. And so you may yeah. you get to see some of that stuff. So yeah, maybe they're not dealing with the problems you're dealing with, but they're also, you know, whatever, 30 years younger than you or whatever. Like, you know, like you, yeah, they're dealing with life for the first time at its hardest. And, you know, you have to realize like, yeah, these kids are, they got it hard. And so that's why, you know, we always say like, well, how will this affect the kids? We say that kind of stuff, but reality, like a lot of times we don't really care. It's just a politically correct way of going about it. But we don't really look out for the kids in the way we should because you look, I mean, look, kids can't even go to school anymore. Kids can't go to the movie theaters anymore. Kids can't go to grocery stores. Yeah. Because people are doing stupid things and that they see yeah. this stuff and they just act out. And, and 
you know, it, it's it's terrifying to just be a person in this world, but you have to keep going. You have to, and, and that's why you have to be their light. Like, you know, some of these kids, they might not have the best home situation like you didn't have. And maybe your class is how they escape. And so you got to make, yeah. it, you know, you got, again, I'm sure you, you really pull yourself out of it. You really look at yourself and go, man, like this, some, I'm sure a few of them probably remind you of you and, and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I've had several students over the years that I've, I've looked at and been like, this kid is just like me. <laughs> yeah. And, and in that I see, I, I, I see an opportunity to coach them and to help guide them and lead them and also be a positive role model for them. And even the kids that aren't like me, right? Like just, being upfront with them and telling them that I have challenges or a disability. And yet I still went on and went to college for 18 years and got three degrees. And now I'm a, I'm living my dream. I'm living my life. You know, you're their, um, you're their example of like a superhero. You're their example of someone who made it in their position. Even if you don't have the same condition, you know, again, a lot of people don't have any examples of, you know, a deaf person going on and becoming a great actor or a basketball player. But you're an example of someone who made it. It's kind of like what Obama did for, for black people. It's like, wow, we could, we should have made it here a long time ago, but we have someone who's an example who had to fight hard, but he made it. Regardless of who you voted for and who you like and don't like, he was a huge, he was a, a, a beacon Absolutely. of light for them to go, wow, we can make it regardless yeah. of whether we feel like we can or not. And for you, you're, you're their light of, oh, wow, like we, we, there, we know somebody, we physically know somebody who teaches us. Um, and he, he goes through dis his disabilities are right here, right in front of us. And we, we see it, but he's a teacher. He went to school for it. He didn't have to do any of these things, but he is an example of success. And I think a lot of people, their idea of success is, is, you know, whatever, someone who has a giant house and a lot of money, but from, from yeah. where we come from, you know, and you, you and I both have gone through a lot of abuse and the fact that you're still standing is already a good, and I don't mean, yeah. I mean, you know, mentally and, and that you're, you know, you're still standing because you can, you know, you're getting out of bed every day and you know, you have challenges, but you want to, you want to teach, you want to help. And, you know, there's not many people like you that are doing that or not enough. And and success looks different for everybody, right? Like success for one person might be uh, joining a Fortune 500 company and being vice president. Success for someone else might be going to college and working in as a restaurant manager. Success for another person might be uh, getting a, a, a day job and just being a good husband and a father. So success looks different for everybody. And I think when we take off that, that, um, that status quo or that expectation of what we think success is, I think that takes off the limitations of, of what we can achieve. And also another thing that you said that made me think of my, my first big speech that I gave about 11 years ago, I was <clears> speaking <throat> at a luncheon at the Broadmoor at a conference called Courage to Risk. And I spoke for about an hour um, about my, my story and, and, and my message and, and the successes of, of, of overcoming Tourette's and also the successes of my kids. And at the end of the speech, um, this lady came up to me and she was in tears and she talked to me 
for about 10 minutes about her son. And I come to find out, I found out that her son had just been diagnosed with Tourette. And she came, the conference was in Colorado Springs, and she came from a town six hours away. And she said she came just to hear me speak because her son had just been diagnosed with Tourette. And she wanted to see me speak, to hear my message. And my best friend, one of my best friends at the time, or uh, who was there, who was there, named Tiffany, uh, she said to me, she said, she said, that lady needed to see you speak. She needed to see that someone with Tourette can be successful. So that way she knows that there's hope for her son. Because as a parent with a child with a disability, when you find out your kid has a disability, there's probably a thousand questions going on in your head. What's, is my, is my child going to be successful in life? Is he going to be able to live an independent life? Is he, how's he going to get through school? How's he going to function socially? There's all kinds of questions. And so by that lady seeing me speak, I, I, I like to believe that, that that helped her with, with her outlook for her son. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as I said earlier, like sometimes to make progress, some of us kind of have to be the one that pushes somebody out of the way and jumps in front of that car. Like we have to be the one to take the humility. We have to be the one like to make real change. We have to put ourselves out there. We have to, you know, it may not be the most comforting. It may be embarrassing. Um, but at some point it'll pay off. And then little by little, they hopefully down the road, the, the, the ones that are coming up now that when you're developed an adult and you've sacrificed a lot and you put yourself out there, someone will see you and now maybe they'll have a little less of a harder time getting to where you got to um, because there's now an example. You're, you're a person who made it to the top. And, you know, some of us have to, unfortunately, take a few shots just so others don't have to. And, you know, it's, it's great, but it's not great. Sometimes it sucks. It's, it's, a, it's a long journey. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of times getting knocked on your ass. But you the more you get up, the stronger you become. And, and like what you, what you saw there, someone actually wanted to see you because you, you helped them uh, appreciate and, and understand what their child is going through and, and help them love them more and, and, and help deal with it and, and realize that, again, you're an example of someone. They're like, wow, we know somebody who has Tourette's and is a great person is doing something in society. They're not hidden and they have a voice. And it's like, well, like there's something for my kid to be. Like, because I'm sure they probably looked at their child and they're they're looking at all of this this giant hill they have to climb, but they don't realize like there there's something out there for their kid. Their, their kid doesn't have to suffer their whole life. They don't have to be a nobody. They can be a somebody. But Absolutely. You know, again, you just needed that they needed somebody to to, to show them the way and you did. So um so before we wrap up here, you I know you wanted to tell a few poems. You wanted to say a few poems for us? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll go ahead and read two if that's okay. Do your thing, buddy. Do your thing. And I will read one from my upcoming book, which is a, a manuscript that's tentatively called Crosshairs. And it's one that I, I've been sending out to publishers uh, over the last five or six months. And this poem is uh, a poem about my experience teaching kindergarten students. And it's called Kindergarten. So here it is. Okay. Alicia, 
the first day of school, you were face down on the floor, crying in front of my classroom, talking in gas of tears too old to be your own, saying that it was your mom's boyfriend. It was all him. I laid down on the floor next to you, my eyes teeming with yours. You wouldn't answer me with words. Go ahead and touch this hand if you want to come to my classroom and talk, or this hand if you want me to leave you alone. Your classroom teacher told me that no one would believe the amount of meth your mom smoked and heroin she intervened when you when you were in utero, as your eyes la-la-la down the hallway, laces loosening, your fingers gnawing at the staples, holding work samples from the first graders on the bulletin board, your hair plopping from shoulder to shoulder in the tick of a second hand. You've come to my classroom for 60 minutes every day since, We usually work on reading or math, but it's all life. We start off with good things when I usually say, my good thing is that I get to teach awesome kids like you. Your mouth drawing open as if you're about to ask me if I'm mine. Never leave your dreams behind. Dear Perseverance, you took what God gave you and made it even better. Yes, you write your numbers from the bottom up, but you still learned how to count one through ten by jumping out each number. You still learned how to decode consonant, vowel, consonant words as though you wrote them yourself. Sound it out. Wa-he-ga. Mr. C needs a wig. And how your eyes time when you call me crazy because I sing Don't Worry, Be Happy in class or reenact the lifeboat scene between Rose and Jack in Titanic. Jack! Jack! Threading my neck with each shriek. You volley. Why do you do that, Mr. C? Because I get nervous. Why are you nervous? You are a textbook blur between patience and hope when you ask, Are you a daddy, Mr. C? The veins in your cheeks growing more lucid, your bangs touching your eyebrows, and the fuzz on your forearms other students like to riddle as you sit smart in your chair. My good thing is that I like Christmas, Valentine's Day, and Mr. C's birthday, and that's it. It's the last day of school, and you're tipping toes by my kidney table, story-eyed as you ask me what, what we're going to do today, the expression on your face perfect, like a flame finding a shape. You tell me your bo- mom's boyfriend finally moved out. You can't make an apple hang like a peach. I ask you to draw a picture about what you're going to do this summer. After about five minutes, you walk up to me with your drawing. Tell me about it. You come in the moment, pivot your head, and point to it. It's a picture of you and my mom looking up at the stars. That paints an image. I don't know about you, but I'm a very, as I say to people, I'm very visual. So I have a very good imagination. So everything you say, I kind of... Uh, I pick up on it. I have my own little visual visualization of it. Thank you. Yeah, that that was a a poem that uh, I wrote um, a few years ago, and I actually submitted it to a, um, an online journal that picked it up and published it. And it's actually the first poem in my uh, my manuscript that I'm shopping around right now. And I've heard lots of good things about it, and um, it, it, it's a it's a 
a poem about a very important student right. to me um, who, who inspired me just as much as I hopefully or hoped I inspired as well. Yeah, and that's the so. thing, because like it's real. I think some people do poems, and, and you don't really know where it comes from, or you don't really understand it. But, I mean, obviously getting to know you here and then knowing your some of your backstory, and you can you can see where all that comes from, and you know it comes from your head. Um, no one else would have written something like that. <clears throat> um, yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, of course. And you said you have one about disability? Yeah, so the next poem is from my book called Fingerprints. And my book is basically about is basic is is a collection of poems about disabilities, overcoming disabilities, mental illness, and abuse. And the poem that I'm going to read is comfortable. Um, it it talks about a time in my life when I was trying to get to the root of what I suspected was a brain injury, which I found out years later after I wrote this poem that I did in fact have uh, a toxic brain injury. Um, but this, this is called Comfortable, and it's my experience with the physician that I had. Okay. It isn't like I thought it'd be. The room doesn't feel like a wet box coming in on me. The air doesn't have a smaller scent, and blood isn't rushing to my hands in the nick of, a, of panic. I'm in this doctor's office. He's holding a silver pen to the right of my face. Look at the pen, he tells me. Tell me stop when it's in front of your nose. He keeps repeating my answers to his assistant. Write that down, he says to her. I tell him about the medication, the oven cleaner I inhaled 10 years ago, the car accidents, the closed head injuries, and the doctors, each dressed in a different white. He already knows my handwriting sucks, that I have trouble seeing in between the lines when I drive, that I bump into people when I walk, he already knows that I apply most of my weight on my left foot on the outer edge when I walk. He asks that the floor over there is level. Maybe. And the wall over there is straight or curved. Curved. Definitely curved. Write that down, he says again, his arm in a sling as he motions for his pen again. He tells me to sit in those chairs over there. You'll be more comfortable in them. There's something... There's something too familiar about a doctor sitting in arm's reach from you with his hands in his pockets saying that you have a traumatic brain injury. With a fortune teller smile, he says, the brain is like an orb of toothpaste, and when it's pushed against the skull suddenly, something happens, something uncorrectable, like you're 0 for 5 in a game of one strike. There's a sense of gravity to hearing something you've really known for 10 years, turning your chin to the ceiling like you're too good for this, too good to be this comfortable, sniffing as if you don't really care, him playing his trick with, with his pen. Stop, I say when it's in the middle. He brings the pen to my face, and it's about a half inch right of my nose. Every time, he says, every time. Yeah, it's very good, very good. Um, again, that's a very vivid, uh, you have a very vivid imagination. So, and I know part of that, is, you know, obviously is real as well, but, uh, it definitely paints a picture. If you just kind of listen to it and, and kind of zone out, you can really see where you were at that point. 
Thank you. Yeah, that that was a a tough poem to write, and it was a it was definitely a tough experience to unearth. Um, I believe I wrote that poem a, a couple of years after I had that experience, and um, it, it is uh, astonishingly uh, nonfiction, like very very accurate to my experience that I had with this uh, with this doctor at the time, and uh, like I said, I. I as I would find out about five, six years later, I found out that um, I had a toxic brain injury and a traumatic brain injury, although there's been some controversy over the uh, the traumatic brain injury uh, diagnosis, depending on which doctor I talk to. Um, the toxic brain injury does uh, seem to be concrete uh, as an effect of uh, some oven cleaner I inhaled when I was working at a restaurant at a um, a significant reaction to that. And I was never the same. And that was after, after that was when I began stuttering and, uh, my, I, my vision got worse. Uh, my ophthalmologist tell me that they can tell, uh, when they look at my optic nerve, that there's been damage to my brain, similar to that of a stroke. So, um, just, just a little background on that. Um, I know you wanted me to mention my website. If, if anyone's interested in, in visiting my website, uh, it's www.teacherwithtourette. And there's an S at the end of Tourette. It's not Tourette. Teacherwithtourette.com. Or, or uh, you can go to markchardier.com. And uh, check out my website. Uh, if you know of anyone that might be interested in having me speak, or if you just want to, uh, you know, subscribe to my blog or, or my website and send me a message. And even if you just want to say hello, I'd be happy to, to hear from anyone who, who wants to reach out. Yeah, please check him out. Yeah, man, I appreciate you for coming on. And uh, I'm going to force you to be my friend. Um, All right. And, uh, yeah, well, I, you know, if you ever have any bad days, please uh, reach out. You need someone to talk to. I mean that, not just because we're on the air type of shit like you need someone to talk to uh please text or call me anytime Um, well thank you i appreciate that yeah and uh yeah thank you for coming on man like you're awesome for real like you're a real soldier i'm glad you did this and i hope you continue to do what you're doing just please don't stop and don't let anyone uh don't let anyone uh take you off your path because you're doing great things thank you appreciate that and uh we'll talk soon okay okay all right brother Bye. Okay, guys. Well, I got to leave because Grandma says she's outside my apartment. And um, But, yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for him coming on. He's a good guy, man. I appreciated that. I really enjoyed that. And uh, I needed that as well. So I'm going to get me a gym membership. I'm going to try to better my life by bettering my body. <laughs> so I'll see you guys next week. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye.